Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to just bless this time as we open the word and we look at what you'd have us to see. We, we thank you that you give us your word so that we get to know you and learn from what you would have us to learn. And we ask your Holy Spirit to guide and lead in your son's name. Amen. Yep. Ezekiel 13, starting at verse 15. Thus will I accomplish my wrath upon the wall and upon them that have dabbed it with an untempered mortar and will say unto you, The wall is no more, neither they that dabbed it. To wit, the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem, and which see visions of peace for her, and there is no peace, says the Lord God. Likewise, you son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people, which prophesy out of their own hearts, which prophesy you against them. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the women that sew pillows in their armholes and make kerchiefs around their head of every stature to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and will you save the souls alive that come to you? And will you pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die and to save the souls alive that should not live? By your own lying and to my people that hear your lies. Wherefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows wherewith you have there hunt the souls to make them fly, and I will tear them from your arms and will let your souls go, even the souls that hunt to make them fly. Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to to be hunted, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'll finish it. Because of the lies you have made in your heart, but the righteous, the righteous, because the lies you have made in your heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthen the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. Therefore, you shall no. You shall see no more vanity nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hands, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. All right, so we're looking at this. God's pronouncing curses upon the false prophets, and now he's beginning, as we look at this, to make curses upon those who are straight-up idolaters, not even, not even false prophets, not even speaking in his name, but, but false prophets, and we'll look at that a little closer. But it says that God, in verse 15, that he will accomplish the, his wrath on the false prophets and that there is no more and they, shall, and they will be gone. And then he says, To wit, the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem, which see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, saith the Lord. And this, go, this is just the tail end of what we probably should have finished last week where he's talking about the prophets who keep going against God's prophecies. This is something that especially Jeremiah went through, Ezekiel went through, the, the false prophets kept saying, and we've talked about this, peace, peace, you know, Israel's not going to fall, and God's saying Israel's going to fall, get ready to, to go into captivity. And uh, there was a lot of false prophets that kept saying, no, there's no problem. And even on our day, we're hearing the same thing from people. No, everything's all fine, nothing's, nothing's happening, the, the end's not near, God's not doing anything, and we look at the scriptures and know that we're closer and closer to the end times and that God's going to judge. Then he says, Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of my people, which prophesy out of their own hearts and prophesy you against them. So here he is, he's talking, he's switching over to the prophets of the people that are prophesying again out of their own 
heart, their own imaginations, their own what, what they want to believe. And this is something we have to be very careful of. When we want to say God says something, we need to make sure God is saying something. And I don't like to, to say this, this is from God. Now, sometimes I'm sure I've spoken something that's from God. But I'm not going to sit there and say this is from God. And I used to go to a church denomination that you heard it all the time. God says, or God told me to say, and that was supposed to tell you, shut up, don't argue with them because God told him what to say, which a lot of times it didn't match up to scripture. And I would challenge them and they're going, well, God said, I go, no, it doesn't match up to scripture. You're, you're inventing this. We want to be very careful. If God is saying something, it's going to match scripture. Always. It, because this is his word. He's not going to contradict his word. And this is something when God is telling, when you think God's telling you something, you look at scripture and say, does it match up to scripture? And that's your first, first hint. And I've shared this. I, I would be counseling people who would say, well, I think God is telling me to get married to this person. I'm going, are they saved? Well, no, or I don't think so, or I don't know. Then it's not God. It's your own heart. Lots of people got married to individuals who aren't Jews. But even, even if there was, it doesn't mean that God sanctioned it. It just means that they did it. There's lots of things in the scripture that people did something, not that God said this is good. Polygamy, God, God has never said polygamy was good, but he, there are a lot of people that had participated in polygamy. And marriage is supposed to be one man, one woman. And every time you see polygamy in the scriptures, you see problems. Abraham had problems with two wives. Jacob had lots of problems with his four wives. David had a multitude of problems with his wives. Solomon had really big problems with his 1,000 total wives and concubines. Well, just problems. I mean, jealousy and all these other things that come along from it. The scriptures oftentimes will tell us things that happen, but they doesn't say that it is good or even approved by God. It just says that's what they did. So we want to be careful. And this is why I'm saying when we look at saying scripture and say, what does God say to do? We're looking for what does he actually tell us is good and bad. Nobody who had multiple wives had good results of it. And we see that over and over again. If they had multiple, multiple wives, there were problems involved with having multiple wives. And so even though polygamy is mentioned, and even with the... With the uh, founding fathers of Judaism, it was still not a good thing. People, and we still do to this day, will always go beyond whatever God allows because we are sinful and we will do what we want to do. We will try to justify it. We will try to give a reason for it. And we see it all the time. We see it in others, and we all have probably done it at some point in our time, justify what we do by finding some scripture that goes, well, see, here's an example of it being done. And believe me, I've done this. I've talked with people many times who are saying, you know, just this, you know, I'm, I, I think God's leading me to get married. No, you're, you're, you're hard. And, well, and, they'll, and they'll point to somebody who got married to an unbelievable and it's something to justify what they've done. It's definitely a human condition because we, we sin and we want to justify what we've done and what we, why we did it and we want to blame. We want to be able to point to God. You know, see, God, you, you said, you know, but see, that's why the flesh has to be crucified. Self-control is not what we're looking for. We're looking for crucified flesh and a changed life. Because self-control is not going to be what's going to win in the long run. 
uh, self-control, we can, we can control our flesh to a degree, but the moment we turn our back to the flesh, it comes roaring back with a vengeance. Certain people have more self-control than others, but you will at some point break down and, and, and lose that area. And it's very important for us to understand. Our flesh needs to be crucified. I'm not disciplining my flesh. I'm not trying to uh, control my flesh. I'm not trying to strive to be good. I'm not being striving to, be, to follow God. I'm letting God crucify my flesh and live in me, change who I am so that I live become like him because he changes who I am. Because other than that, we're sitting there, you know, and I like, I like the picture of the, the animal trainer, especially the big cats trainer. You know, they go in with their, their little whip and their, you know, their whistle or whatever they use, but, but they've got to remember that they're training, they're training and in there with wild animals. If they let down their guard, they can get mauled. As just recently, what's his name, the big cat trainer that, that just got mauled when he took a momentary lapse in his mind and trusted his lion or tiger, whatever it was that mauled him. And, you know, he's got to remember that, that a big cat is a wild animal, no matter how friendly it has gotten, it's still a wild animal. Even our domesticated animals, you know, can, can just, while they're playing, they, get, they can get rough and let their claws come out, especially like cats or something. But the more we're trusting God and the more we're following God and the more we're becoming like God, the better our decisions get. And this is what I have found over the years. The more I spend in his word, the more I spend listening to teachers, the more I spend in relationship with God, the more I become more like him. And it's not me controlling myself. It's just making good decisions because he is the one flowing out of me. And I don't want to claim that I've done anything. I mean, because it's not me who got rid of my temper. It's not me who who controls you know, various parts of it. It's God working through me and changing who I am. Verse 18 is where the mo- a message that Ezekiel is supposed to say, and he says, And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the women that sew pillows into the armholes and make kerchiefs for the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people, and will you save the souls alive that come to you? This is kind of an interesting thing in the King James uh, these pillows in the armholes are filibri- uh, fillets and, and it's decorations in there and, they're, and they are phylacteries. If, if you remember what a phylactery is, those are the things they put on from their foreheads and their, on their wrist with uh, God's word. But in this case, it's on a negative side. It's more of the magic charms, more is what he's, he's saying there. They're, they're sewing in the magic words on their, on their clothing and they're putting magic magic uh, spells and charms in the, you know, in, on their foreheads and forearms. So he's saying these are people who are into idol worship. <laughs> okay, He's switching from the false prophets into those that are into idol worship. And he's talking about this whole idea of magic charms and, and spells and that type of material that he's talking about. We kind of see this even in our day if you if you're familiar with the South at all, with voodoo and black magic that goes around there where they, where they have the, the voodoo dolls and the, whatever else they call them, the dolls that they, they stick the pins in and everything, and, and the charms that they bring out and the power that is supposed to be represented by all of yes, that. Sir. Around here in this area, there's a lot of Wicca, so there's a lot of the same thing around here where you've got uh, magic charms and bell protection. It goes both, both ways against you know, ones that are evil, ones that are good, ones that are protective. And around here we have a lot of that as well. And he's saying, 
Woe to you that do these things, because God is going to come against it. And it says, Who will you hunt the souls of my people and save the souls alive that come to you? This has a double meaning on it. It has the idea of idolatry worship who actually sacrifice humans. But it also has this idea that they're giving the wrong meanings to them. They're selling these protections and people will be hurt by it. And God, God says, you tell them, will you do this stuff? Are you going to hurt the people that he is protecting? And this is something that is very important for us to understand. God is more powerful than anything out there. Here, Ezekiel saying, woe to you. Woe to you that are following the wrong spirits. And this is something, they're being judged. Israel is being judged mostly because of their idolatry. And then on top of the idolatry is those who are righteous, if we remember, have not been keeping the Sabbath year where they're not supposed to plant their fields for on that seven, every seventh year. And they've, they've been ignoring that for 490 years. So God tells them, okay, you're going into, you've missed, you've missed uh, all these uh, Sabbath years, so now you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. He's going to, he said, I'm going to take my Sabbaths and the land's going to rest. And so we've got the idolatry in the land and even the righteous aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And God says, okay, that's it. When the righteous do not stand up for God, a nation is in trouble. And that's why we're told in Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and call on my name, God will deliver. The day the church stops praying for our country, our country is, is finished. And we need to keep that in mind. The only thing keeping wrath from this country is the church praying for this country and praying for God's blessing in spite of all that's going on. But there will come a day when God says enough is enough, just as he has always in the past. We need to be praying for our country. We need to be evangelizing. We need to work on it. Verse 19 says, And will you pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die and to save the souls alive that should not live? By your lying to my people that hear your lies. So again, he's saying, you're going to pollute me. You're making me look bad. And again, it goes back to they're, they're saying peace, peace. They're, they're saying they have the power to deliver. Uh, Jeremiah has told the king, do not leave Jerusalem. Just surrender and you're going to be, you're going to be okay. And the king tries to run for Egypt. He sneaks out of the holes in the walls that have been knocked down and he and the people try to run for Egypt and they get caught and he gets punished. His kids are slain in front of his eyes. All the princes are slain before his eyes and then, then they poke out his eyes and take him to Babylon. So he suffers because of his not listening. It is very important for us to learn to trust God no matter what. Even if it looks like it's all going to be for the wrong, we trust God because God's got a plan and he's got a way to do it. And even if it cost us our life, that's a really good thing in many ways because we get to go to heaven. If we're a Christian and it cost us our life, then we go to heaven. And we get the crown of the martyrdom when we get to heaven. So it's a great blessing in many ways. But God is saying, 
you're keeping people alive who's supposed to die and you're, and you're hurting others. Now, kind of makes me wonder why were the righteous listening to these people as well? <laughs> because they should have been listening to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and saying, we need to follow them. But they're listening to the false prophets. They're listening to the king. And so often it's a great example for us to understand. One of the things I've seen when I've looked at scripture the majority is almost always wrong. And I want to say always, but I, I, can't re- but I haven't looked specifically to see if the majority was ever right. But every story I can think of, the majority was wrong. God always has a remnant. And even in our country's history, the majority in our country are usually wrong. They're not doing things by the scripture. They do things that are against God. We want to be very careful that we stand for God no matter what. And not say, well, you know, the majority says such and such, so it must be okay. Well, if we go by that rule, then we're going to be against God in almost every decision that's made. And we look at our world today. Almost every decision made is, goes with the majority, and it's anti-Bible, anti-God. And we see this over and over and over. We're supposed to accept homosexual marriage. Why? Because most of the people, quote, unquote, believe it's okay. We're supposed to believe that uh, all these things are okay. Abortion's okay. The euthanasia's okay. Why? Because the majority thinks so. Well, I'm sorry. God calls those things murder. He calls them sexual sins. And living together outside of wedlock is not, as God says, is a sin. Even though the majority say it's okay, we look at it and say, God calls it a sin. I need to stand with God which will put us out of step with the world. We need to be, as Christians, out of step with the world. If the world is going away from God, we need to be out of step with the world. And basically, it irritates the world. <coughs> and it is, makes the world upset when the church stands up and says no, that, or a Christian stands up and says no, that's a sin. And we'll be called all kinds of names because of it. We'll be called bigots and homophobes and... Narrow-minded, oh, nonconformist, non-conformist, uh, you know, or the or the ultimate that we're that we're intolerant. <laughs> uh, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what they want to call me because I want to I want to stand for God because I care more about what God says about me than I care what the world says about me. And if that cost me my freedom, it cost me my life. Whatever it's going to cost me. I would rather stand with God and be considered right by God than be considered right by the world and have God say, well, no, you've lost rewards or worse yet, you never knew me. And our testimony will be wiped out if we agree too much with the world because we will just be like the world. And if we're like the world, the world looks at us and says, well, why should I be a Christian? You know, you're just like me. You think just like me, you act just like me. And this is why the world has to understand that we're Christians, that Christians have a different way of thinking. And whether it makes them unhappy with us, that's fine. But at some point in their life, when they struggle, they're going to look at that Christian that has a stand and says, I stand for God and I'm, and I'm able to be content with where I'm at. And they look and say, I want what that person has. Now, will everybody do that? Nope. But enough people do that that they, I've had people come up to me, why do you believe this way? Why do you act this way? Why are you so, so content? Why do you seem to always be happy? Opens a door wide open to tell them about God. 
Now, are they always going to accept him because they've asked? No, but at least it opens doors. But if we know that there are people out there that they look at and say, well, I, I might be interested in becoming a Christian, but this Christian I know says the same things, acts the same thing. You know, they've got their living, their living uh, lover at home. They, you know, they're just like me. They're just like me in every way. So why would I want to be a Christian? We need to be different. We need to stand up and say, God is different. God's standards are different. And we keep his moral standards and draw people to him by lifting Christ up. You know, we lift him up and people are drawn to him. That means that I don't do all the things. And as Paul said, we avoid all appearance of evil. And this is something that people will go, you know, especially people living together and go, well, we're not having, we're not doing anything. Well, yeah, you're probably right. You may be right. You know, and I'm not going to judge that, but you sure look like it to anybody outside, you know, that you may, you probably are. So even if you are or aren't, <laughs> it's irrelevant because people will think that you are. And they go, and then of course the people, well, that's their problem. I go, I understand that that's their problem, but you're also hurting your testimony if you're doing things that draw. And Paul was talking about people that would be able to go out and, and buy food at the meat market that was offered to an idol. Why did, you, he, why did he say, he goes, I know it's just offered to, a, to a, a statue of gold or stone, but if it's a weak brother and it offends them, don't do it. And this is something we have to keep in mind. We have liberty to do anything that we want as long as God gives us that liberty, but everything that we have the liberty to do is not necessarily a good thing to do. Uh, and this uh, can be from, from smoking, alcohol, gambling, whatever it might be. You might have the liberty to be able to do that with, between you and God. But if it makes a, another believer fall because of your liberty, you shouldn't do it. We have the freedom, and that's what Paul said. You know, we have the liberty to do just about anything. But if it's going to make a brother fall, we need to be aware of what we do. Pastors have to be even more careful because people are always looking at a pastor and say, well, if the pastor can do it, it, might, it must be okay. It's a yes and no. I mean, they're responsible for what they do, period. They should know better. If I teach something wrong to people, I'm going to be judged because I taught it wrong, and I'm going to be doubly judged because I affect others' lives. But that does not release the person who heard it to say, well, you know, the pastor taught this, you know, so I believed it. But is that the same as doing, us doing something that... Again, it goes down to, do I care for my fellow brother and sister? Because I have the right to do whatever I want. I mean, if I want to go out and drink because I don't think it's wrong, or I want to go out and gamble because I don't think it's wrong, and somebody looks at me, who, especially if they have a problem with it or an addiction to it, and they go, well, okay, he was able to do it, so I can do it. Especially if they look at an older, strong, you know, more mature Christian that does these things. It's a hard area to be looking at. But the more mature you become in Christ, the more you will limit yourself, not because you think it's wrong, but because you don't want somebody else to go down that path. I think of things like drinking. There's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not drink. Now, there are verses that say, you should not be drunk. A lot of people have no problem drinking. And they will use that all the time, and, 
And it's between them and God if they want to drink. But as a pastor, I would not drink. You know, number one, I'm not inclined to drink. But I mean, I would not go out and drink because I do not want to lead others into that lifestyle. Gambling, especially in our area where we're so close to easy gambling. And there's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not gamble. Now, there's lots of verses that talk about, you know, using your money wisely and all of that. So, but we have to be careful. If we feel that there's no problem for gambling, then we need to be careful that we don't end up bringing somebody who does have a problem with gambling, you know, thinking it's a sin. This mature Christian thinks it's okay and does it, so it must be okay. And then they end up sinning. It's, it really is that love and care we have for others that we will be willing to limit our liberty to not harm them. Again, if I go out and do something, it's still their problem if they do it. But at the same time, if I'm a stumbling block for somebody, it's not good. So the stumbling block to being an example and being the doing, you know, being out, out there being the stumbling block. We limit our li- liberty just because we don't want others to fall into a, what for them is a sin. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong to do it even. It just means we need to be use our liberty very carefully. And one of the statements I heard on the radio was, "Use your, lib- you know, at home, use whatever liberty you want. But when you're out in the open, <laughs> you know, out in the world, be, you know, be be more careful." It is important that we learn to yeah, that there's consequences. There's consequences if we lead somebody astray. Now, is it salvation issue? No, it's not a salvation issue. It's just a rewards issue for heavenly reward. <laughs> and the more that I will limit my liberty to do things that others might think are wrong the more reward there will be in it for doing it. Not that I do it for the reward, but it is God will reward. And here he's saying these people are doing, you know, they're, they're seeking them. Verse 20, Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against your pillows, which you have, wherewith you hunt the souls to make them fly, and I will tear them from your arms and, and let the souls go, even the souls that you hunt to make them fly. So again, he's talking about magics here. And God says, I'm going to tear out these things and I'm going to release those that you're trying to bind. And this is the whole thing that in the whole idolatry, witchcraft, uh, magic, they're trying to bind people up. They're trying to control people and they control them through, their, through the spirits. This is why a non-Christian is very susceptible to any magic because it's demonic influences in the, in the occult's magic. And so there is power. And don't ever let people try to tell you there is no power in those events because it is demonically induced and there is power in that thing. But it does not affect Christians because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have Jesus Christ living in us and the spirit world cannot affect us. Now it can influence us. It can it can whisper in our ear, but it cannot possess us and motivate us to do the things that it can a non-saved person who can be possessed and directly respond to them. But here God's saying, I'm going to release the you're binding because they're mine. He goes, I'm against your magic charms. I'm against your spells. I'm against your, all the, your charms and your amulets and all these things. And it says, I'm going to make, let them go. Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand and they shall no more be in your hand, be hunted and you shall know that I am the Lord. All right, verse 22. Because of, with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, 
whom I have not made sad, and strengthen the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked ways by promising him life. So he says that these people that are giving these, these false reports, they're making the righteous sad because the righteous are hearing them and half believing them, apparently. And, but the unrighteous are getting happy. They're going to be delivered. They're going to survive. And God is saying, I'm destroying this, country, this land, this town, this city. You're going into captivity. The righteous are preparing themselves to for the God to be true, and then these others are coming, the majority is coming in and say, no, this isn't going to happen. This is something that is very critical that we look at. And we're seeing a lot of that even in our day and age where a lot of the Christian churches are saying, we, these, aren't, these things that God says are sin are not sin, and they're causing a lot of grief. A lot of grief out there for those who are Christians because you've got probably even maybe the majority of churches out there that are saying homosexuality is okay, fornication is okay, divorce is okay, abortions are okay, you know, and they're going right down the list and saying all these things, you know, we, we, we in this Christian group have evolved, you know, and it's, you know, we, we know these things are okay, and God is saying, no, they're not. <laughs> and it makes life very difficult sometimes for Christians when we stand up and say, no, God says this. And there's all these groups that are saying, Oh, no, you know, it's not a problem. And they're still naming themselves as Christians, and it's very confusing to the world. Very confusing to the world when a Christian comes along and says, no, God still says sin is sin, and then you've got twice as many other groups saying, that are quote-unquote Christians saying, ah, oh, no, it's not a problem. <laughs> and we are going to have a bigger and bigger problem as we get closer to the end times, and the remnant of the church is all that's left. And the wicked get happy because all of a sudden their sins are, are, are accepted by false prophets. And I'm going to say bluntly, a lot of these churches are false prophets. They're, they're probably not even Christian anymore. And if they are, they're, they're so nominal it's hard to believe, but they're false. Teaching false things. There's a remnant of the church and it's very small and it's there's still a lot of good churches out there, don't get me wrong, but comparatively, you can go to a lot of bad churches out there that aren't believing God's word. This is why sometimes it's hard for, for me to tell new believers, just go find a church because they don't know any better. You have to be very careful who you send sometimes. And the one thing I do like about the internet is I get to, I, I'm going to recommend somebody in some other part. I can go to the, where they're at and listen to the pastor and say, okay, the pastor's pretty accurate, go, go talk to the pastor. Good church to go to. This pastor is teaching correctly. And that's a very good benefit. I've gone on, I've listened to a pastor, and I've only listened to about three or four minutes, and said, not this church. Because there are so many people out there are false teachers. It is a scary thing, because even some of the seminaries out there are not teaching people correctly. There's a lot of seminaries out there that do not believe that this is God's word and, and say it's all fairy tales and don't, don't believe it. And once you start there, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, the, there was no noatic flood, you know, there was no call to Abraham, there was no, no ten plagues, there was no crossing of the Red Sea, Jesus was not the Son of God, they did not raise, you know, they go, once you start throwing away this book as a st starting place, then everything else becomes false. We've got to be 
looking at what is believed and how we represent that. Because it's very important for us to understand that God's word is absolute. And it's true. It doesn't change. In spite of all these denominations that are saying God's word has changed, it has not changed. And this is one of the reasons as we go through the Old Testament, we're showing you that it's not that different from the New Testament. It's... It sounds a little harsher, but it still has the same picture as the New Testament does. God has not changed. We're still saved by grace. They were saved by grace. Over and over it says they were saved by grace, and God chose them. So we want to be careful that we do not get too far afield. I was talking to one of the inmates today about the difference between Judaism and Christianity, and he started throwing me all these things that he'd heard about Christianity, and go, but that's not Christianity. He goes, it's not? So I had to teach him what Christianity was <laughs> to begin with. Because so many people have a distorted view of what Christianity is. God's message is so simple, and yet people make it so difficult when they're, when they're sharing it. God has this promise of salvation by grace. And yet, so many think, people think that they have to work at pleasing God. And unfortunately, there's lots of churches that leave you with that impression, though they may or may not actually believe it. You start listening to them, and it's like everything they teach is leading toward this idea of activities and living this way to prove that you're a Christian. And it's really a sad thing. Is living righteous good? Absolutely. Is it going to get you saved? Absolutely not. Is it going to do you great benefit for heaven? No. Does it have benefit on this world? Absolutely. If you do the right things, you don't pollute your body, you for honoring God and being, being obedient. But it's not an uh, everlasting life issue. You may get rewarded for doing it if God does, and you're doing it for the right reasons. The scribes and Pharisees looked really good on, to the world because they appeared to be righteous. And God says, your heart's not with me. And so it's all about what the heart attitude is on these things. And he's saying, you're strengthening the, weak, the, the wicked and you're weakening the righteous. Now, again, I'm not quite sure how the righteous got weakened if they were listening to God, but maybe there were just so many of them that they kept getting bombarded with the wrong message. And we have to be careful about that ourselves. Especially in our day, it's easy to get bombarded by the wrong message if you're not discerning what you're listening to. We have a lot of bad uh, preaching on TV. We have a lot of you know, poor teaching on the radio. We have to be discerning. We have to be careful what we listen to. And we want to use discernment. The Holy Spirit what's right and what's wrong with what we hear. And he's our answer. He's our trainer. When we read the scriptures, we want to know something about the scriptures. We want to pray and ask him to show us. And I can tell you firsthand, he will show you what it means. He's done it every time I've asked him, God, I'm having trouble with this scripture. Show me what it means. You know, I was spinning the channel, channels today on all those that uh, the so-called religious channels are. Came up with three prosperity preachers, and then there was fully over half of those programs available were, in my view, uh, leading a lot of the TV evangelists lean toward the prosperity gospel 
There's a few good ones out there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to wipe them all with one brush. On the radio, it's usually a little better. There's not quite as much prosperity and bad teaching on the radio, but they're, bad. they're out there. It's just we need to be discerning. We need to be careful about who we listen to and not just turn off our brain when we're, when we're listening. And even, as I said over and over, even sitting here in this church, don't turn off your brain just because I'm teaching it. I'm usually accurate with it because I could get wrong and wrong teaching as well, not on purpose, but we need to always be looking at what's taught. And we need to be good Bereans. Paul praised the Bereans because they searched the scripture to prove out what he was teaching and he was the apostle. Go check what you're, being, what you're hearing. Always keep your mind engaged and know does it match scripture. The preaching of the word of God and witnessing whatever's taking us down on the word of God will irritate the world, will irritate those who aren't really following God. Whether they name themselves as Christian or not, if they, if they cannot handle the gospel and the truth of God, then they're going to have to look at their life. Jesus did it all the time. He would preach something hard, and then on more than one occasion, he looked at the disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? Because he was always speaking truth. And the truth divides. The truth makes people irritated. The truth will make people come under conviction because it is God's truth. And it goes against the way we want to live. Even as Christians, we know how it feels to have sit in a message or hear a message or read something in the scripture that kind of hits us between the eyes. And our first response, our human response, if we're not careful, is to pull away from it and say, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Now, if we're following close to God and we're being spiritual, we go, okay, God, I'm, gonna, I'm going to bend to what you say. But our first response as a human is to pull away from what, whatever it is because it hits us between the eyes and says, you're sinning and you've got to stop. Believe me, I know it. I've done it many times, you know, where, where I'm going along and God says, uh, you've got to stop doing this. And it's like, oh, no, God, not, not another area of my life to get you know, changed. But we do it all the time. It's the way, the way the truth is. It's going to come and change who we are because we are flesh. All of us are. All of us that are following God are still have a very strong pull from the flesh that God is always going to be putting in front of our eyes, you're living wrong, you're living wrong, you're living wrong. And no matter how far we go, there's going to be another thing he puts in front of us saying, this needs to change, this needs to change, this needs to change. It's always going to be hard, and it'll always offend people. And I know that when I preach the God's word, someone, somewhere, sometime is going to be offended. Not everybody, not all. And even Christians are going to be offended once in a while because it's going to be in their face, this is what God says. Now, a Christian, good Christian, looks at it and says, okay, God, I'm going to bend to your will. The world says, I'm offended at that person, I'm not coming back again. Some marginal Christians might even say, I'm offended, I'm not coming back again. I'm going to go find another church. And this is where we have what we call church hoppers that stick around for a church for three to five years. The pastor says something they don't like, you know, that offends them, and they go to another church and stay there for three or four or five years. The pastor will say something from the Bible, and they'll go to another church, and they'll keep bouncing around churches because they don't want to hear the truth. We've got to be careful about that. When we get offended, we need to go to God and say, God, did he say something that, that I need to pay attention to and stick around and keep learning? Or, is, is, or do they go off into left field and they're teaching false doctrine? 
If you're offended because they're teaching false doctrine, then you go find, a, find another church in, at that time. If you have a good called pastor to your church who's in the word of God, they are probably correct more often than not. But you still need to be looking at the scriptures to make sure you don't follow them down a wrong path. And any pastor, and I've said this over and over, any pastor or teacher who says, believe this because I said so and I'm well trained, you need to start thinking about not spending time under that pastor because even if they're right at that time and they may be, they're leading, they're setting you up to just believe what they say and they, and they can take you down the wrong path pretty easy if they get off. And this is why I'm always going to tell people, go search out. Don't believe it just because I say it. I will tell you also, after 44 years of study, I know the scriptures pretty well and I'm, and I'm pretty confident that I'm going to teach correctly, but that still doesn't relieve anybody of the right to go in and check it out. Because I've sat under pastors that I've had to go back into their office on occasion and say, Pastor, I, this is what I thought I heard you say. Is this what you said? And, and then had to decide, you know, if they said, yes, I believe that, then I had to decide, is this serious enough that I have to leave or stay? In most cases, I stayed. I very rarely in my lifetime have moved around in churches other than actually literally moving. When I was in Baltimore, I stayed in the same church the whole time I was there. I stayed in the same church here in Kingman until I took this church. When I was in Sacramento, I stayed in the same church the entire 10 years I was there. Once God shows me the church to go to, I've stayed at that church and submitted myself to their, that, that pastor and stayed there because they were solid teachers and I didn't have anything that far off that, did I agree with every word they taught? No, but I, nothing was so serious that I had to go jump around, hop and, did they step on my toes frequently? Absolutely. <laughs> And I'd have to go, okay, God, thank you. I didn't, I didn't want to hear that, but thank you. I'm going to help me change. But it's very important for us to do that. And then the last verse here. Therefore you shall see no more vanity, nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God says, I am going to stop your visions for the, for the, for the evil. He says, I will stop your visions. You're not going to speak from, in names. You're not going to pre pretend that you know me. And God will take care of his people. And he will protect people from false teachers by revealing to them that they're false teachers. And I've had many people tell me, well, if a pastor's bad, what should I do? And my answer has always been, if your pastor is really bad, not being doctrinal, you leave the church. And you just be quiet about it because that teacher is there and whatever reason he's there, God will deal with him. And eventually all the righteous people will be gone and the pastor will have just the people he deserves, the ones that are lost and not, not following the spirit anyway. Because it is important, discernment. The Holy Spirit will always protect us in the long run if we allow him to. And we, and we, sit, and we allow him to be Lord and Master. And this is why I keep bringing it up. We need Jesus to be our Lord and Master and do what he says. And that may mean that it will put us into some interesting places. It may mean taking us away from friends that we've had for a long time because they're not good for us. It could be developing friendships with other people that are spiritual that we may not have ever done. It may mean that all of a sudden we leave a church that we've been in forever because the pastor is starting to go off into, into strange, strange beliefs and talks. We learn to listen to the Spirit's voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. 
we get to know him. We get to get into his word. We get to know his voice. So that when we hear something that's not right, it automatically registers that it's not right. And, I, and I've shared with you, it's, it's happened more than once, but one time really big that happened to me, I was listening to the Christian radio, t- uh, kind of in the background, it was kind of background noise, and all of a sudden, everything in me just like, like alarm bells went off, and I'm going, what, was, what did I just hear? And I started paying attention and realized that the speaker that was speaking on the radio was really way off. He wasn't even being scriptural at that point, and I'm going, okay, don't listen to this show anymore. But that is what I'm talking about. The discernment of the Spirit that when you are so close to God that when you hear something wrong, you know, all of a sudden the a warning bells will go off in your brain and say, and pay attention, listen. When that happens, we need to listen and say, is this correct? Is it scriptural? What, what set off these, these alarm bells? There's been times when I've dealt with people and just alarms are going off in my mind that something is not right. Nothing they've really said or done, but it says don't fall in this. And then later on, a week later or so, I'll find out why <laughs> it happened. You know, or later on, I'll find out that this person was a you know, wolf in sheep's clothing or wanted to set something up and God just, just a little alarm, be careful. We need to learn to listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to us because he is the one that protects us. He is the one that knows what's going on and if we just learn to listen. Listen very carefully. How do we learn to listen? listen? We learn his voice. We get into the scriptures. We get into good solid teaching and we learn. We get to learn what God says and how he acts. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us and that you care for us. Lord, that you will be our protector from the spirit world, that you will be the one that helps us to discern the spirits and activities that are going on. And we thank you for all of this, Lord, and that, that you are our savior. You are our master. You paid for sin so that we could be able to get to know you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.